I'm Bianca Vivion, and this is Ask Viv. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be back. You all think that you've been waiting for episode 9, but I've been waiting for episode 9. I've mentioned on here before that doing these episodes requires a certain amount of stability and a peace of mind, but it also requires a certain amount of confidence, and I think that people kind of understate how much confidence creative projects really take to put out. When I sit down here to record these episodes, it's just me by myself in my own thoughts, and honestly, that's a very scary place, and it's deeply intimate, and sometimes I get stuck in this place of fear, I have to be honest, because I have more questions than I have answers and I feel unqualified to be answering questions and to pretend to know better than the next person because I know so many of my followers, people that are going through a lot of the same things that I'm going through and they trust me to just give a thought that comes from a genuine place. And I genuinely think that I could do that. I can do it now and I can do it with a lot of confidence. And so when I say I'm back and I'm ready for episode nine, and I'm so glad if you're joining us for this episode, because this is truly going to be the best episode that we've ever had. And it's going to be the best episode that we've ever had because it's going to be an episode that was six weeks coming. So with that being said, I'm going to get right into my thoughts for this week. And this week, I've been thinking so much about transformation and change. And I think that I've been in a time of a lot of transformation and a lot of metamorphosis. And I won't say that it was purely a thing of beauty because like I said, it was tied up with a lot of fear. And I was thinking a lot about transformation because a few weeks ago, I went on vacation to Jamaica. I was in Kingston for a week and Kingston is such a beautiful place and not just because of its rolling hills and its great weather, but really because the people are so kind and just so generous with their time and with their conversation and it really just renewed me to be around that kind of people and I was thinking a lot about transformation in Kingston because while I was there I saw my ex-boyfriend and when I say ex-boyfriend I don't mean like serious romance this was my ex-boyfriend from the 10th grade who was my friend and it was so funny because when I dated him in 10th grade he was the local weed dealer and he really wanted to be a young money rapper the type of person that wanted to be liked and known by everybody and it was so fascinating seeing him all these years later because he had kind of returned to his roots and grown out his hair into these long dreadlocks and had completely renounced rap as sort of a black American phenomenon produced by people who were enslaved in the mind and spiritually impoverished and he had taken on a complete V and lifestyle and lived by the land and the first day that I saw him I thought wow this person has changed so much. The person in front of me and the person I had known were like night and day. And it was interesting because as the week went on and we talked more and we hung out more and he got to know my two friends, my girls that came with me, I started seeing hints of the person that he used to be sort of popping up. The same kind of condescending tone and the argumentative nature and just very desperately wanting to be validated and liked by strangers, but also this sort of sweet boy All of these things that I recognize as someone from the past. And then the last day that I was there, I ended up not talking to him completely. And I didn't see him before I finally left because he ended up trying to talk to one of my best friends that I had come with. And it was so funny to me because I remembered being in the 10th grade and 
finding out from a friend that he actually was going to break up with me because he really liked this Eritrean girl who was so beautiful. And I remember feeling so hurt and crying and thinking, wow, I wish I was her. I wish I was beautiful. I wish I was desirable. And it was so funny because I'm standing here years later, standing on this veranda, looking out at the hills of Jamaica. And it stung a little, even though I really desired him not at all and had no romantic feelings towards him. It still stung a little because I thought, wow, has this person changed really at all? And it was something that even for the days after I had left Kingston was bothering me because I thought, well, he changed his clothes, he changed his hair, he changed the way that he walked and talked and the music that he listened to and the friends that he chose and his spirituality was different. And yet it still seemed like so much of him was the same and it bothered me and it hurt me because it confused me so much until one day, a few days after I had come back, I had this revelation that there was no way of me knowing whether he had changed deeply these important ways because standing there before him, what I had realized undoubtedly was that I had changed and I started to see the woman that I had become through the ways that I felt about him the things about his personality that I wasn't willing to withstand or even tolerate, not even for a moment, that at one point I tolerated for months on end. And I thought about how I found out that he had been trying to talk to my friend and how much it just made me laugh, how ridiculous it was and how it didn't really make me angry. And I didn't question my own desirability or my own beauty the way I did when I was 16, that this was a completely different me standing before this guy and that maybe the purpose of this reunion was not for me to rekindle a lost relationship, but for me to recognize how far I've come from who I was and the choices that I've made. And it also became such a funny moment because I also realized that it did not matter if he had changed because some people change and some people just become more of who they really are. And I can't really understate the importance of understanding transformation and the importance of understanding change for me because I'm somebody that is now four weeks out from graduating college. And I've been sort of gripped by this fear that I had been trying to avoid, but kind of inevitably strikes everyone at this point of transition in their life because I'm thinking, okay, it's now or never. You're going to have to be the person that you've claimed to be for so many years and there's no more graduations to have, this is it. You're going to have to go into the world without anything but your mind and yourself, and you're going to have to prove that you're as smart as you think you are, and you're as special as you think you are. And this is something that had been at the forefront of my mind, and it was so negative in a lot of ways. And I realized that even that conversation just didn't really take into account transformation, and how much over the last four years I myself have changed. And I had gotten so bogged down in that negative loop of trying to prove myself to myself and like a prayer I was delivered a letter that I wrote to myself when I was 17 and the person that made me write this told me that they would deliver it to me upon graduating college and so I get this letter last week four weeks out from graduating college and the first words of the letter is dear Bianca I have such high hopes for you and I read these words and all of a sudden I just start bawling crying I'm crying and I'm reading this letter 
letter and I'm going through it and it's describing what I was going through at the time. And then I read the words, you will figure it out. Please find something beautiful that wakes you up each morning. Please remain in love with yourself. You are so close to greatness, you can taste it. You are so unapologetically and unequivocally thankful to bask in life. Be honest for yourself and to yourself and with yourself always. Even before it begins, I know this time will go by as fast as it came. No matter where you are in life, remember at one point you were on top of New York City and in front of all that you are, you are still so great. And I cried so much because I thought about this letter and how it was written from a completely different person, somebody that was night and day, had changed so much, had changed their hair and their spirituality and all of these things about them. But at the same time, it was a person that I knew it was myself and I needed her so badly in this moment. And I realized that I too have changed and I too have become more of who I actually am. And it was that sort of full circle transformation that allowed me to say, yes, you will go on. But also that graduation is just one transition in life. And it allowed me to take myself out of the center of my universe because I started looking at the people around me who like me are yes, now completing their education. But I also think about my friends who have just gotten pregnant and they're graduating from womanhood to motherhood. And I think about my ex-boyfriend and how he's still trying to graduate from boyhood to manhood and how everybody at any point is going through these graduations in life and they're going through these transitions and you can change your hair and your spirituality and the way that you walk and the way that you talk but you have to always be trying to change that essential thing trying to better the soul and that part of you that wants to wake up to something beautiful every morning and that part of you that remains unequivocally thankful to be alive you have to nurture that part of you and you have to allow that part to change more than anything else because everything else I've learned is vanity everything else can be changed and manipulated and it can die and it can be born again but the soul is something that you have to maintain and you have to take care of and you have to give yourself permission to transform even if it changes everything about yourself that you think that you knew and you think that you like and I think it's now giving myself that permission to have more questions than answers and feel joyful and excited about graduating into the next step of my girlhood and the next process of womanhood and so that's my thoughts for the week so with that being said I'm going to get right into these questions because you know that's my favorite part dear Viv I just moved back home from the west coast to the east coast and more and more I realize that New York City isn't all that anymore Finding work out here is a joke and is seriously so discouraging. I'm tempted to move elsewhere, but the main priority into moving back home was because of my mother. She's worked her ass off being an immigrant from Haiti and now she's really sick. I want to be here for her, but it's hard. How do you find the healthy balance between doing what's best for you and your family? That's such a tough situation because like the Quran says, heaven really is at our mother's feet. And honestly, sometimes what's best for your family is what's best for you. And it seems like so impossible sometimes the amount of selflessness that it takes to be a daughter or to be a sister or to be a mother. But these are things that when you look back on them are the most worthy roles that a person can have. With that being said, you sometimes have to recognize if things are for a season or if things seem permanent. If it seems like 
like your mother is only going to need you for a year or two years or a year and a half or six months, then you need to just make the commitment to her and find joy in that process of taking care of somebody who took care of you. But if it seems like something indefinite, then maybe suggest that she move with you somewhere. I know a lot of people do that with their parents when they become elderly or they become sick, that they make them move in with them. If she's willing to move, then maybe you can find a place. But if it's neither and the responsibility falls totally on you, then you have to find some way to be okay here and be okay with your current situation. If that means being relentless and finding a job that you really, really love and makes you want to wake up in the morning or splurging a little on a nicer apartment so that you absolutely love being at home, or if it just means making days where you're completely unavailable to your family and completely ensconced in your own life, then you have to learn how to make things okay for you in the immediate realm. And I can't tell you what that looks like, but I can tell you that I myself have had to do it for the last four years because there's been so many times where I've thrown up my hands, today included with snow in April, in which I just say, you know what, I can't do it. I can't live here anymore. I hate it. But then I go and I have dinner with my friends and I go out for karaoke and drinks and sing Fergalicious in the middle of a bar holding a tequila soda at 1 a.m. And I think, you know what, I think I'm going to be okay. And whatever you need to do, whatever that thing is, as long as it's healthy for yourself, then you need to do that thing. Even if it means saving money so that you can vacation once a month to elsewhere. Because trust me, I go to elsewhere so much to escape the city. And I isolate myself into Harlem and Washington Heights and the places where I can see black people thriving just to make me feel okay. And I go months without going downtown or being around Soho or whiteness or even not even going to Columbia besides going to class because I know how hard it can be to live here and it's not what it used to be. But I also know that taking care of your parents is the most important, fruitful, and honorable thing that a person can do in this lifetime. And so do it and do it well because there will never be a time when you're older and you look back at this time and you regret taking care of your mother. That's what I can tell you without a doubt. Dear Viv, what are your thoughts on women of color pursuing journalism careers? All the way up until college, I wanted to be a journalist, but as I reconciled with my identity as a first-generation student who grew up in poverty, I backed away from that calling in order to find some other more economically rewarding passion. Now, I realize I can't live this fake money-seeking dream anymore. Also, what publications are you reading these days? Well, it seems like you really love journalism, so I would pursue it if I were you. I was one of those people that I had a career in journalism for a while, and I think that you all know this, but I worked for National Public Radio for a while. But it was one of those things where I couldn't even pretend to be objective. I was always supposed to be an opinion essayist. I was always supposed to be a commentator because commenting on things and giving my completely unobjective opinion is the thing that I do best. And so I have a lot of respect for journalism but as a person of color, I think that the people that are best suited to be journalists are women of color, just because we're much more deeply empathetic than men or white women. And we tend to have more personal investment in the things that we choose to write about. And this is a renaissance right now for journalism in which people are understanding that the world is much more nuanced than they once thought. And I think that there's a place for women of color in that renaissance. And I think that it's an important place. But at the same time, I'll tell you, and I have to tell you, 
you if I'm being honest that it does not pay well and as somebody who's written for the New York Times and worked for NPR and a lot of these other outlets I can tell you that it's not a great way to make a living and I think that the frustrating part is that a lot of women of color who pursue journalism unless they can basically brand themselves as a correspondent or brand themselves as a writer I know a lot of writers who are also models which honestly is a bit ridiculous to me or they write and every time they write they have a picture of themselves next to their essay it's never just about the subject matter because we live in a highly visual culture and we also live in a freelance culture and we live at a time with a lot of people doing a lot of free work and so you should have savings or something to supplement your income while you're entering that space or a great way to transition into journalism career is to attend journalism school people that attend journalism school or people who are formerly lawyers and investment bankers who now want to be investigative journalists and pursue their passion. So think about pursuing graduate school in journalism if you're really serious about trying to make a sustainable living off of journalism or if you're just a bomb journalist and really think that you can completely go for it and be Nightline News Katie Couric then I would totally say yes do that. And as far as my favorite publications I read the New York Times to see what liberals are thinking. I read the Washington Post to get a decent idea of what actually happened and I read the Paris Review for great writing. Dear Viv, as a writer from the hood and someone who has found homes in various hoods, wouldn't you want the people you grew up with to engage with your art by listening to your podcasts, reading your writings and books when they inevitably come out, etc.? How do you, as a writer and an artist, plan to make your work accessible and desirable to your community? Well, I don't ever believe in making my work desirable for anybody. I think that work is desirable when it tells the truth. So I remain as honest as possible at any given time. And as far as making it accessible, it's all free. I don't know if you all have noticed, but there was a time when I was publishing a lot of stuff through platforms. It was through the New York Times or it was through Huffington Post or PBS or NPR. And I said no, because these mediums, they put a filter on all of my words and they put a filter on all of my experiences. And it's not like those opportunities just went away. Those were opportunities that was purposefully declining so that I could build an organic and grassroots readership who knew I was telling the truth because I was deeply invested in the communities that I come from. When I think a lot of times when people ask me about accessibility, they're telling me, oh, like, why don't you use smaller words or why don't you advertise towards this type of person? But it's just because I know in my heart that organic intellectuals are bred from the hood. A lot of the smartest and most innovative creative ideas. I'm from Atlanta. Atlanta breeds so many organic creatives who never really step foot in a classroom or from Oakland, which was the most organic intellectuals and organic revolutionaries and socialists that this country has ever seen. I went to the same high school as Huey Newton. I don't underestimate the intelligence and the intellect of the hood or the ability to create innovative ideas and understand the things that I'm saying. And I know that the conversations that I'm having on platforms like Ask are conversations that are not being had elsewhere and I know that I have a responsibility to address certain things that are happening in the hood and I'll get to the point where I talk about domestic violence and I'll get to the point where I talk about self-medication and I'll get to the point where I talk about misogyny and homophobia and transphobia but right now I'm taking it one question at a time and I know that it's accessible because there's been so many people that I went to high school with or grew up with or come from the places I come from that say I really needed to hear that I'm relying on you to talk about certain things and I take it very seriously I don't underestimate 
take that responsibility and I don't take that positionality for granted. And I can only say, just watch what's next because it's only going to become more accessible. If you're listening and if you're reading, then you know that these things are for the people because I am one of the people and I'm not above the communities that I talk about. I'm in them. Honestly, for lack of a better term, I'm not industry. I'm in the streets. (laughs) Dear Viv, I feel this sense of restlessness lately and it's hard to shake off. I attend university and I'm graduating in the fall. However, I feel like I can't do it anymore and I want to drop out so badly, desperately even. I'm in a major that has nothing to do with my future. I know that this would upset my parents, but they do not understand that I want to be something different, something artistic. What should I do about this? Well, let me just say, first of all, if you're not in college and wanting to drop out at least once in your four five or six years there, then you're not working hard enough and you're not doing college right. So your indication of wanting to leave college is probably means that you're doing as best as you possibly can. Second of all, being in a major that has nothing to do with your future is completely unimportant. I majored in human rights and international law with a double major in economics. If you think I know anything about economics or I'm even proficiently good at math, then you are sadly mistaken. And it's pretty obvious at this point that what I'm going to do is going to have to have something to do with my artistry, with my voice. You know, I'll probably become a talk show host and probably write a few R&B albums, but the chances of me practicing anything in human rights law are so slim that if that happens, then something went drastically wrong. You're probably going to have to get your degree in what you study, but don't look at these things as mutually exclusive. I know a lot of people who got their degree specifically to please their parents who just said, okay, you know what? In order to be proud of me, my parents need me to have a degree. And to honor the 18, 19 years, 20, 26 years that your parents take care of you, just get the degree. And I know that that sounds ridiculous and I know that it sounds impractical, but listen, I have friends who went to community college for two years and then they dropped out for a year and then they went back and then they went back and they failed out and they went and something that could have taken them quite literally four years has been taking them seven or eight years I have friends that have been in school since 2012 in college and it's just because college is hard and they've doubted themselves a lot 20 credits out from graduating and just having that moment of self-doubt where they couldn't really put into perspective that four years is a very short amount of time and you have six months and the thing about it is if in six months you say wow should have gone to art school then apply to art school or go take art classes they're not mutually exclusive at all i've painted a hundred different canvases and gone to a thousand different open mics and written a hundred songs in the last four years and they have nothing to do with anything about schooling because school for me and intellectualism and sharpening my mind is a separate process from my creative and artistic career and separately from that i would say that when you're in school try to actually take classes that you're interested in sure if you're a biology major you're not going to be able to take a hundred percent painting and art classes but I've taken mostly English classes in my time at Columbia and I've taken about a thousand seminars on James Baldwin. You just have to gain the system and you have to recognize university for what it is. Not even people that major in visual arts or major in music or whatever come out of college thinking, wow, I feel so fulfilled in my artistry. I'm really the type of artist I want to be now because I went to art school. I've never heard that. 
A lot of people that do go to art school tell me that it was a massive waste of money and a lot of debt, but I just wouldn't look at everything as such a zero-sum game and look at things cut and dry as if I do this, I win. If I do this, I lose. If my parents win, then I lose because life is just more nuanced than that. So give yourself a chance to enjoy the parts of education that you can. If you can't, then just know it's going to be over very soon. And trust me, I was you six months ago and now in four weeks, I will have a diploma. And if you can't take it easy, then just take it as easy as you can. Dear Viv, I'm a senior in college and people tell me I'm very attractive, but I have major insecurities about my body, specifically my breasts. Because of this, I haven't had as much intimacy as I'd like. I find myself wanting to be completely sure that people I'm with aren't just there because of my outward appearance and won't discard me when they realize I have physical imperfection. The problem is I rarely trust anyone enough to give them a chance to fuck up. What should I do? You know what? I used to do this a lot. I used to have this thing my freshman and sophomore year of college where I wouldn't leave the house without a face of makeup on. I wouldn't leave without my hair done. I wouldn't leave without makeup on because I was so afraid of what would happen if I couldn't control other people's perceptions of me. It wasn't about looking bad. It wasn't even about looking good. It was really about controlling other people's perceptions of me because I was so deeply dishonest with myself and other people about who I had been that I was very worried about being found out and that fear of being found out kept me from pursuing love in a really real way what happened was actually that I got really sick and I was so weak at one point couldn't barely get up the stairs to go into my dorm that I just couldn't wear makeup I had no energy when I got up in the morning to wear makeup and do my hair and the crazy thing is I realized that a lot of people around me they stopped reacting to me in the ways that I could control but it didn't matter because at that point I was just really having to take care of myself and so I would say go out into the world without any of that control go out into the world just yourself and see what people do with it you will be very surprised of course there will be people who shun you and there will be people who judge you but those are people who reveal themselves over time anyway but there will also be people who embrace you and who want to talk to you purely for who you are and will even embrace your natural beauty these days I'm okay with me and everyone has to get to that place I always say the most critical and urgent journey of a young woman's life is finding out what love is and what love is not and I know that you all get tired of me saying it because I say it damn near every episode because that is such a critical journey and you're gonna have to do it and there are gonna be people that you're going to have to stand naked in front of and just be okay and I tell you that I've had that insecurity because of my weight or the way that I perceive myself or the ways that I perceived other people perceiving me but at the end of the day you get to those moments of intimacy where you take everything off and you realize that the guy that you're with or the girl that you're with they're not looking at how big you think your arms are the size of your calves like people are looking at you just as you are and there will be people I guarantee you there will be at least one person who will just be okay with you as you are but that won't matter until you're okay with you and so you have to go out and it's a challenge it's a challenge to say I'm not putting on any lashes and I'm not gonna put on any foundation I'm not gonna fix my eyebrows I'm just gonna go out into the world and see see what happens when I just come as I am and you have to trust yourself enough fuck trusting other people enough to handle who you are you have to trust yourself with yourself by yourself enough to go out into the world like that and say this is me and I'm okay with who I am and I'm not talking about it like it's easy and I'm not
not talking about it like it's taken me a month or like it's taken me even three or four years because this is something that I know I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life because I as I started this episode you're going to be changing forever and like it or not there's going to be a time when you're going to think that you're less beautiful than you once were and there's going to be days when you wake up and you have bags under your eyes and you have wrinkles in your forehead and your hands aren't as strong as they once were and you're not going to be so young anymore you will always be in this process of changing you will always be in this constant metamorphosis and your body is going to constantly change and you're going to have to be okay with something beyond that you're going to have to find some kind of confidence beyond the way that you look so much so that it doesn't matter if you're standing in front of somebody who thinks that you're beautiful or someone who thinks that you're the ugliest person they've ever seen i'm trying to get to a point in my own self-perception where i hold compliments and insults at the same level because i'm not so affected by others perception of who I am and I don't allow it to convolute or taint the way that I feel about myself but that's work that I'm committing to and that I know I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life that's all the time that we have for today if you've made it this far in the episode then I thank you I took one more question than I usually take just because I know people have been hurting from that six-week hiatus that I took but I promise you I'll be back right next week with episode 10. That's our double digits. We're going to cut the cake. We're going to light the candles. It's a celebration. I hope in this retrograde, you're thinking about where you've been, where you're going, and giving yourself room to become who you are. More life, more love, more life. I'm Bianca Vivione, and this is Ask Viv. Then guess